This week's Major Spoilers podcast, Saturday After Hours edition, goes out to Krista Danielson. I think Krista Danielson was that guy who sang the... No, never mind. That was Chris Christopherson. In any case, Krista, this one goes out to you. Major Spoilers theme song! The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Pod- on, on the air. The Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. On the air. Pod, pod, podcast... I gotta tell you, mm-hmm. so even though I don't know what's going on, right? It's got this guy on the cover, and he's being in trouble. I kind of like that, but he's a rabbit with a beak, a robot so realistic, giant size man thing. You know, giant giant fight scene. Oh no 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 no! Naked lady orgy thing. Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> This man is being in trouble. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast. So glad you could be with us on this weekend or whenever you're listening to this. Hello, Hello future people. people. Got a lot to talk about this week. Let's kick off with a listener email. Uh, Boy, I just love names. Fortunately. Kathalomayakan. Kahul. That's uh, honestly, here's, here's something. And I, I want to apologize to this faithful spoiler I wrote in. I work in an industry where sometimes you have to pronounce names. And if you have a name that can be mispronounced, it will be mispronounced. Like and Cathal Omechain. I think it's Cathal Omechain, but I may be wrong. That's how, he's, and that's how he I pronounces it at the end. Okay. Kahul now, ask yourself this question. Do you think really we're matter. the first person to butcher that name for Mr. or Ms. Omiyakon? Don't know. Probably no. not. So we do our best. We apologize. We move on. Take I'd calls. like to begin saying thank you for the continued excellence that is the Major Spoilers podcast. I enjoy it so much I started listening to Critical Hit despite having never played d I also like to thank you for recommending Lock and Key. It's pure brilliance. My wife at my behest got me volume one for Christmas and beyond. I love it. Currently waiting for Play.com to deliver Volume 3. Uh, my wife also likes this. Uh, that's what he says. Random questions that I figured you might be able to help me with. You have commented on stunt casting in the past. Samuel L. Jackson is Nick Fury, etc. But I was wondering what your take on getting stunt writers is. Kevin Smith, Richard Donner, Joss Whedon, John Cleese, even JMS was a TV movie writer to begin with. Uh, recently watched an episode of The Real Ghostbusters he wrote. All have written comics, mm-hmm. but are better known for their work in other mediums. Is it a good, bad, or indifferent thing for comics? And which do you like, Rodrigo? Um, I am. I, I generally tend to be annoyed by it, possibly by the choices of of the people who who end up writing it. But a, a lot of the time, there's there's this issue of okay, this person is not going to be writing Spider Man, right? You know, Joss Whedon's international spider-man okay um international so, spider-man of mystery yes uh, joss whedon's international spider of mystery comma or whatever is actually <laughs> what the book is called um <laughs> so is it is it going to be in continuity is it going to be out of continuity because you want to give joss whedon as much 
freedom to explore right. the characters and to be Joss Whedon as you can. Right. But that could irreparably wreck your universe. Yeah, because but was it stunt casting when he wrote X Men? Uh, I think oh, yes. it definitely was. Oh, certainly. Okay. Um, regardless, regardless of what you think of that series, it was mm-hmm. definitely publicized as you know, just Joss Whedon writes the X Men. Right. E- even more so than when I think Kevin Smith was writing what Green Arrow, a Green Hornet, and Batman. Mm-hmm. Now, Green Hornet, uh, the adaptation that Dynamite did, if I remember correctly, um, was an adaptation of the movie draft that he had submitted mm-hmm. for the Green Hornet movie. Now, you said right. Green Arrow too, yes. Um, yeah, when he relaunched Green Arrow in like 90 something, maybe or 2000 something or maybe. Yeah, the the latest Green Arrow series is the one that came right after the one that was launched as a Kevin Smith joint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, Kevin I, Smith basically brought him back from the dead. I guess my concern with quote unquote stunt casting is, is the person actually doing the writing work in Kevin Smith's case? And Joss Whedon's case, it's very clear, in JMS's case, it's very clear that they are writing mm-hmm. those volumes. And Kevin has come out on record and said that he's a writer. He likes writing and he right. likes comic books. So the two meet. And if someone wants to pay him to write, then, you know, more power to him. On the other hand, you have um, Samuel L. Jackson and that um, Fistful of Dollars. Cold Space. Yeah, Cold Space book. I think he came up with the idea and had an idea for it. And then mm-hmm. when you look inside the cover and it says who's it's actually written by, that's pure stunt casting. And that's and, what and I had, don't. And had a, a little glowing orb that used to work for PBS, write it. Yes. Yes. That's what I have the, that's what I have the problem with when it's say, oh, it's a based on a same way with um, Stanley's Traveler. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's Stanley came up with the idea. He's approving the concepts. He's overlooking the work, but it's some other people who are actually writing the series. Mm-hmm. And that seems a little, just because, I mean, it's it's in the title, so it's not necessarily stunt castish, but Cold Space seemed a little bit that way. Right. Um, certainly there are other titles, like when you hear Richard Donner is writing Superman, well, he's writing it with somebody else. Right. Um, and so it's usually the plot idea that these people are generating. Yeah, and you definitely, you definitely get two kinds. You get, like, the kinds of people who aren't generally regarded as writers mm-hmm. and those guys are usually uh working with someone else obviously stanley is an exception to this right um and then you get the guys that are writers you know like uh you know judd winnick writing uh for dc comics was basically stunt casting wasn't mm-hmm. it i mean he did mm-hmm. that after he was on the real world right um but he was but he's a writer and, and a and a cartoonist so he you know he just writes things um and, and you know there's an example for you some people think that judd winnick just wrecks books when he gets to them although you know that's neither yeah. here nor there yeah, yeah, yeah. um obviously the, i think the stuff that he writes himself outside of any marvel or dc continuity is his best stuff um probably barry weems mm-hmm. but um you know when you get somebody who is coming in with that level of baggage really with you know it's like oh this is going to be the guy who writes Buffy writing the X-Men, this is going to be the View SQ guy right. writing, you know, Batman, then you start getting into problems. Mm-hmm. Brings me to my next question, pay. Do the guest writers get paid more than regular writers? Well, only the accountants know for sure. But it is, you can probably pretty much guess that if you're going to bring in somebody as a guest to use their name, 
Um, if you're talking about stunt casting, yeah, you're probably going to cost a little bit more. Oh, certainly. Is there a base rate? Com- no, we don't comic know what book that- payrolls are extremely hard to find any information right. on. I mean, we can, I mean, some numbers have been run around that says basically it's about $500 per page, finished mm-hmm. page for art and inking and all of that stuff. Um, you know, the more popular the writer you are, the more you're going to get paid. Yep. The better the quarterback you are, the more you're going to get paid. If you're just a 300 pound lineman that does his job every Sunday, you're going to get that base rate. If you really, the, usually the more rare a job is, the more drastically it can be negotiated. Right. So, you know, what does a, a, a somebody right out of college who wants to be an accountant make? You can probably figure that out pretty quickly. Sure. Comic books, you know, despite the fact that there are so many comics out there, mm-hmm. the the fraction of people that are actual comic book writers is tiny compared to the people who are, for example, accountants. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot more fluctuation in what those guys get paid. It mm-hmm. just it comes down to negotiation. It's the same thing with actors. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, the the amount of people that are actual actors on TV or in movies is so huge, or rather so tiny in com- in comparison to the rest. That that's why you hear about people. You know, two people in the same movie. One of them has is getting paid thirty million dollars, and the other person is getting yep. paid one million dollars yep. or a hundred thousand dollars. Do whatever. any of the writers artists get a percentage of sales? Again, it depends on how good your lawyer it, it is. It depends on how you negotiate it. Yeah. Really, your agent. Yeah, lawyer, agent, whoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and how come writers and artists are called creators? This is something that was a sticking point with Matthew a couple of weeks ago. In other mediums, they're just called writers yeah. or whatever. On the back of Kevin Smith's green arrow quiver, he's called a creator. And it struck me as being a little weird. Can you explain? Well, there's... I can, and I'll tell you how. Rodrigo is a writer, and I am an artemist, in theory. And Rodrigo and I write a story together that becomes the latest issue of the Spectacular Turnip Man. I leave the book, and Steve takes over as the artemist. So, Rodrigo, at this point, does a rough script, sends it to Steve, who actually puts the issue together, and then Rodrigo goes back in and dialogues it. When Rodrigo was writing for me... He gave me page outlines. Depending on how the book is written, that line between writer and artist or plots and breakdowns or scripting and plots becomes difficult. You know, Marvel style was always Stan would send Jack two pages that said, here's what you put in the issue. Jack would draw 24-ish, 24 pages. Stan would then go in and dialogue it. And, you know, in theory, supposedly there are apocryphal stories of Stan going, what, who's the guy with the big G and why is Frankie Avalon in this picture? Mm-hmm. And Jack going, oh, that's God and Frankie Avalon and they've come to destroy the Earth. And, and you know, he's like, oh, well, we'll call him Galactus and the Silver Surfer. <laughs> that is not the true origin of the Silver <laughs> Surfer, by the way. <laughs> but these things are a lot more difficult in comics. Sometimes it's easier to just go with creator or, you know, illustrator or art by X, Y, and Z. Or just, I or think for that, that when they re- say, or for that matter, just a byline. I mean, you get that a lot. Yeah. yeah. You know, Batman by when they say creator the and the artist. Mm-hmm. Creator implies I think that, that the person is the When they say the creator, theory. they're getting around yeah. the question of what is an inker? What is a penciler? What is what? You know, what do you do at Marvel? Uh, I work on Spider Man. Oh, you draw the comics. No, I'm an inker. You know, it, it gets life. around that for the general public. Well, but it also, when you say creator, also implies some kind of an ownership in this. Now, 
I never read uh, Green Arrow, Quiver, or whatever this is. Um, if Kevin Smith, when he brought Green Arrow back, redefined how this character, history, story, all of that kind of stuff, then yeah, he might be called a creator. Mm-hmm. In the case of Stan Lee, he came up with the idea of the Traveler and the whatever the four Starborn. Issues, Starborn, all of this stuff. So yeah, he would be credited as the creator. If I come up with the idea and it's my IP, even though Rodrigo is writing it, I'm still going to be accredited as the creator. Mm -hmm. If Matthew comes up and negotiates in his contract that he wants creditor rights for drawing The Incredible Turnip Man, he would be considered a co-creator of that title. And Rodrigo may still be considered just a writer. Lawyer, agent, negotiations. Oh, one last thing. It's going to be my birthday on Saturday the 19th. Could you give us a big shout out? No, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. We never say happy birthday, Kawal Omiyakon. It yes. doesn't happen. Not here at Major Spoilers. So at no point am I allowed to say, this one goes out to you. Here's a big shout out for your birthday, Kawal Omiyakon. It doesn't happen. There's another question that I that came up this week that I thought would be a good talking point. This is from Zachary, who says, thanks for the great podcast. Uh, in the latest episode that he sent this in, episode 279, I Kill Podcast, while discussing DC's recent cancellation of a number of series, you mentioned that the best way to support the series was to buy them. I've struggled with this notion in that I've always vastly preferred trade paperbacks to single issues since I've always found they both display better and have easier rereadability or lending capabilities. But even if I'm buying the trades the day they're released, I'm also supporting the series in a way that is meaningful to the series continuation. If I am doing this, am I helping to contribute to its uh, continuation? Sometimes it seems a series, series' fate is decided even before the first trade comes out. As someone who still misses stuff like Captain Britain and MI-13, I sometimes wonder if I let them down by waiting for the trades. As I was hoping you may be able to sh- shed some light on this for me. Or offer any alternatives. Thank you, Zachary. Yep, you're the reason, Zachary. MI-13 got canceled because of you. All your fault. Here's the thing, Zach. Uh, Let me tell you something, Timmy. Um, There are two real branches to the comics uh, industry right now. The first is kind of a loss leader, and that's the monthly actual comic issues. Right. And the second is in the reprints and the trades and the framistats. And the merchandise. But they still use the sales on a book like MI-13, on a book like Young Allies, on a book like, uh, I don't know, what was just canceled, Rebels? They use those sales to decide how long the book's going to go on. So... As Lloyd Dobler said to his girlfriend, Diane, when she asked if she was ruining her car by learning how to drive, yeah, you kind of are a little bit. Now, does that mean that you should buy both the trade paperbacks and the floppies? Well, I do. Now, granted, I'm not you, and I may have, you know, a different amount of money set aside and possibly, you know, a discount and have access to things that you don't on a monthly basis because I'm a comic shop employee and I work for major spoilers. But right now, the industry is still making, you know, a lot of decisions based on how these monthly books sell. So if you wait for the trade, you can, in fact, consider yourself to be partially responsible for a book coming down. Now, granted, is that one copy that you would have bought going to save a book like Captain Britain and MI-13? It is not. So it's not you alone, but, you know, we're still going to blame you. 
Yeah, it's all your fault, Zach. Sorry. Um, I will say, yes, it is in fact your fault, but it's your fault because the system is broken. Exactly. Saying, exactly. does the trade does the trade hurt the book sales is like saying that digital downloads of music hurt the music industry. Well, the RIAA says that it hurts. Well, the RRRs. The RRRs. The MPAA says downloads of movies hurt theatergoers. Oh, those pay cable channels are going to ruin the movie industry. Exactly. This is this is the end of print as ah, we know it. Um, sky is falling. Oh, this is the end. You know, eventually, <laughs> one day, uh, one day, Steve Jobs was was sitting around. Um, oh, my side picking, hurts. Picking picking his nose, and um, he was like, "Oh, I know. Why don't I just make some kind of." pod that people can listen to music on and then i'll make a program that comes with every computer ever and then people can pay me 300 percent of uh what a what an actual song is actually worth i will call it itunes and thus everybody started paying for music like it was nothing you know people who can't get their friend who is actually internet savvy to uh to rig demon wire for them (laughs) <laughs> um you know those people are Lemonade. like oh i can just i can yes <laughs> napsteroid um <laughs> i had a bad case of those napsteroids in high school <laughs> <laughs> yes stereo hemorrhoid jokes ladies and gentlemen that's how attuned we are to one another in major spoilers <laughs> For those and as we that, learned last week, it's not always easy to poo-poo. <laughs> for those of you that actually have like the long binder that and are keeping score, I should at least get the assist for that one. <laughs> yes. Anyway, for the check in, in yes. Rodrigo's box. Anyway, what I'm getting at is right now the comic book industry is in fact broken. Yes. They are making way. They are making money on the trades and still. Uh, but their business model doesn't incorporate them. Mm-hmm. It is idiotic. So yes, it's your fault, but no, it's not your fault. It's not your fault that the system is that right. the system works like this. If they put something out in front of you and expect you not to buy it, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. If they put a product that is more convenient for you, but expect you to buy the less convenient one, and I'm not saying that one is more convenient than the other necessarily. But I'm saying clearly well, for you, they it actually is. serve two different two different groups, right? When exactly. you have, and this is this is, will tie into the three things Rodrigo talked about with the single issue. You're talking to somebody that needs an immediate gratification of that storyline, mm-hmm. right? So some people will go out the day the new issue comes out, and they will download, or not download, but they will go out, and some of them might download. Mm. Uh, some of them will go out and just buy that issue that day, have to read it that day, get it on the internet that day, talk about it to everybody that day, and then they're done with it. Right. Mm-hmm. There is another group of people that don't have access to that comic book shop on that day. Right. So thank God for digital downloads because now I can digitally download that, read it, etc. Same thing. Right. Okay. So those two are serving people that have an immediate need, an instant gratification need, so to speak. Then there are people that are like, well, you know, I could just wait a couple months, get it in a trade, and so I still have a desire to read this content. But I want to read it for readability. I want to read it in bigger form. I don't want to read it in a serialized format. Trades are the way to go. You're right. Discounting the trades as a source of of, uh, 
income. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not discounting it as an income, but they're certainly counting it against the number of people who are interested in that book. Right. Um, is a disservice, real disservice to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's oftentimes before I'll jump into a series, before the first trade or two comes out. I didn't get into Invincible until it was almost ready for volume four. I didn't get into Walking Dead until after the first three volumes had been published. Chew, it took the first volume before I got into it. If a comic book publisher is wanting to do an ongoing series, then they certainly should not use the single issues as the benchmark, mm-hmm. which goes back to suggestion that I think I've had a couple of times. Stop doing ongoing series. Do four issues, do six issues, 12 issues, and that's your series. Commit to that if you're wanting to release the single issues. That will tell you if there's interest to continue with volume two. And I've mentioned that Boom Studios does a really good job of this mm-hmm. as far as these four to six issue volumes. And then that's it. Um, the other option would be, and I know this is probably not a popular view, is to just print the trade. Yeah. Skip the floppies altogether. And on release day, it comes out. And it's the new issue, and it is 300 pages, or however many pages that you're going to collect it. Or if you are wanting to do, I don't know, how, do you remember how many issues that Phoenix, Phoenix Saga was? Was it six issues, or was it 12 issues? I, I don't think it was 12 issues, Okay, was it? Um, let's pick Watchmen, then. If you don't want to release a 400-volume, you know, 12-issue book at once, break it into two volumes, six mm-hmm. issues each. One comes out in January, the other one comes out in June. Mm-hmm. Or July. And people will just wait. If there's enough demand for it, they'll go out and buy the other one. I would bet, just because of the completionist in people, you have issue, you have volume one that includes the first six chapters. People are going to want to know what happens in volume two. And they're mm-hmm. going to go out and buy that second volume. If I'm not mistaken, Japan does this a lot with manga. I mean, those, those volumes right, well, are huge volumes. There are companies today, right now in the United States, that are doing this. Oni... Yeah. Yeah, Oni, Oni does this yeah. all the time, and not just with imports. They have no, they you do know, it with saltwater taffy. They did Scott it with Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim, right? And these are these are thicker books. These are larger volumes. Um, and granted, you know, I mean, Scott Pilgrim is kind of like this. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of a hybrid of, of right. those two. I mean, it's a serialized volume, is what right. it is. But there's there's standalone volumes to a certain degree. And they come out, they don't necessarily come out monthly. Mm -hmm. They certainly don't come out monthly. Mm -hmm. Um, But people are willing to wait when the book is actually worth it. Now, this obviously takes, like, this basically means that DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, and maybe not Dark Horse so much, but DC, Marvel, Image, and and a lot of these upstarts that are kind of chomping at their heels. Right. have to change their business model. Mm-hmm. And I think that they are re- that that right there is what they're reluctant to do. Right. Not necessarily um that that they fear this particular change, mm-hmm. but that it will cause restructuring in the company mm-hmm. and and right now they're afraid to do that. Right. Matthew thoughts on on either of those ideas? Well, I've said it before, the way the industry is currently set up is to, you know, the first one is free, and then you have to come back to the creepy guy on the park bench in the lime green suit to get your additional doses. And as that creepy guy in the city of Topeka, I'm kind of okay with that. 
I think that your biggest problem is going to be the same one we have when, say, a book like Buffy breaks wide in a non-comic, a non-comic sort of population. Delivery windows on comics are specifically short. Yes, that was and they're be my next they're kind of they're kind of effed up. Yeah, you know, uh, recently Jericho number four came out, and the day that it came out, this was like, oh well, we had fifteen or twenty people saying, hey, have you got it? Well, of course not, because we had to place our orders two months before, and none of those people knew it was coming out until the day it came out. Mm-hmm. Now we have 15 or 20 reorders for Jericho number four. And, you know, we're kind of hoping that we can get as much as we can from IDW to cover these orders. Chris Jericho. The comic has a industry comic? is based on that. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> he, he broke down the walls. <laughs> and by I the still way, I can't believe uh, they they started. They had a what like what's a J two K or something like that in like two thousand eight. Y two J, my Y two J. That's what it is. Y two J. You don't mock J two K. The problem with because the in the words issues. of the man himself, will you please shut the hell up? <laughs> anyway, I was in the, the middle of a point here. Yeah, but, but the, here's the problem though with this release window, Matthew. Is the single issues do not support the long tail method of distribution or purchasing, right? And, and I think everyone I know here knows what, what the long tail is. So here's how the long tail works, Matthew. I can come out today with a brand new episode of Critical Hit. Yay. Okay. Yay. And you know what? Hey, guess what? Coming up in the next hour, <laughs> brand new episode of Critical Hit. You're going to want to listen to it. It's fascinating. Answers a lot of questions that people may have. Okay. The first week that this episode is released it will probably have a couple of thousand downloads in that first week right because oh it's brand new and there's another episode that comes out the week after but guess what when episode i think what 59 or 60 comes out we don't take episode 58 off the shelf right and put it in a box that makes it difficult for people to find it no, it's right, right. there in the list. We if put you want. it in a website that makes it difficult <laughs> for people to find. It's in an RSS feed, and if you haven't subscribed to the Majorspoilers.com RSS feed, it might be a good idea to do so. Um, but comic books, you take them off the shelf. Maybe you leave them up for two weeks, but you certainly take them off the shelf after a short while and bag and board them, and they're gone. If I go up two and I, I... Do you leave them up for two months? You have mm-hmm. four issues of, of stuff, eight issues of stuff on the shelf? Because there's a lot well, of comic book shops that water. I will go into. Amazing Spider-Man, you have the, two the most recent... Two months worth of comics is two months. You have the most recent eight issues of Spider-Man on the shelf. We have the most recent four issues of Spider-Man and things like uh, Brightest Day. Okay. Because I've been to a lot of shops where it's new this week, new last week, new the week before, or something like that. And then that's it. And if it, if let's say I'm looking at issue number eight of something, and I can go back and pick up issues seven and six... Then I go and say, okay, where do you have issues one through four? Oh, we haven't bagged and boarded those yet. We don't have those out. You can't buy them. Or we don't have them. The long tail theory basically says I can release a new issue of Critical Hit this week, and by the end of the week, it'll have a couple of thousand downloads, several thousand downloads. But guess what? In six months, it's going to have ten times that amount because people can still go in and access that very easily in that single issue form. Comics don't don't do that until it's the trade, and that often comes out sometimes six months to a year after that arc has released. 
A few publishers will release it. <laughs> Marvel will trade them. Well, that's a what week I was going to say. That that's what I was going to say. Marvel is the exception because they'll have issue number six come out. The next week it's the trade, or in, I think in one case it was like the same week. It was launched simultaneously. It, yeah, it was. And so that's issue number problem. five so, is launching, and then we'll launch the trade with the first eight issues. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So the, they don't understand this long tail, and the trade, the trade paperback, actually supports. The long tail. It's something you can leave on the shelf. Watchmen's been for, sa- uh, for sale on the shelf for decades now. Well, I mean, look at something like Lock and Key. Yeah. You know, you get the first volume of Lock and Key. That's fine. You get the second volume of Lock and Key. And mm-hmm. if somebody picks up the second volume, they're like, oh, I missed the first volume. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go out unless they're, you know, well, now that's. <laughs> they're not going to go out and track down each individual issue. Right. It'll just be a lot easier to track down that volume. Right, yeah. right, right. Now, that the interesting thing, though, is that, um, not to bring out a trampoline, Stephen, but Boing. Um, digital comics, in what? that sense, do fit that business model. Yeah, they do. Because, because much, they do. They, they never like, are out of print. Much like our glorious podcasts, they're always there available. Right. Uh, potentially. And I mean, I think that they do take And that is a little out. bit different. But the single floppy that comes out monthly that, you know, I can't go back in and find issue number one because XYZ Comic Company right. because, because, hasn't put it on the show Because yet? the comic is at issue seven now. Right. So, you know, where do you track it down? Unless you luck out and in that particular store... Not every issue was bought, and you can find it at the on the cheaper bin, or like in the store that we go to, in a box, in a pile. Yeah, getting bent out of shape. Now Matthew had a when I said I can't get issues one through three or whatever. You had something you wanted to say, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Your problem that you have there is when you're talking about issues six, seven, and eight. And only having a two-week window, six, seven, and eight will come out on three successful successive months. So if you're looking at a two-week window, you, all of your back issues are going to be shipped off somewhere in a box, mm-hmm. unless you're looking at a weekly book, and those are still relatively rare. Mm-hmm. I think that many stores are hampered by space issues. Yeah, that's a big so, issue. So I mean, we can't necessarily we can't take them to task for the fact that no, the I'm industry not. is such that they can't necessarily afford a bigger space but there's also the fact that the publishers are trying to have the best of both worlds they're trying to have the you know the monthly comic issues be their primary thing and then put them into trade once those monthly issues have proven to be successful well so i don't necessarily know that having three or four issues let's say you have blue beetle selling fifteen thousand. right You have to figure that, okay, some people are going to buy it if it comes out in a big three-issue chunk. Some people aren't. And you have to figure that there's going to be, you know, the equivalent of, I don't know, would you say necessarily that those three issues that would have sold 15,000 would sell 45,000 if they were a 9.99 book of three issues? I don't think they would. Yeah, that's what nobody's really tested. Because I think people would be off-put by that price point. Nobody's tested it. Maybe you, maybe oh, your price yeah. point isn't maybe your price point isn't three times the uh, single issue price. Maybe it's half. Maybe it's instead of two ninety nine. Maybe you can. And, and who did this? Who did this? Who did this? Um, oh man, there was a company that did this. Maybe it was Marvel was doing this with Kick Ass because of the sporadic schedule that it was. Mm-hmm. You could get the first three issues for less than what the first three issues cost in a mini trade. Right. Um. 
The other thing that kind of plays into this is the publishers, once it goes to trade, they know how long they know that to them, that's that's easy money. Mm-hmm. Going back to the previous question about what do artists get paid and writers get paid and do they get paid, you know, residuals depends on the contract. You may just get paid for the script or the art and that's it. And if DC decides to re- reprint it, they may not owe you jack. Oh, yeah, that is all. So that that's is all hand over fist money. And I think that's what Alan Moore was upset about a lot of the times when it came to uh, Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at one point they were calculating that DC was saying oh, we sell on average 100,000 copies of Watchmen a year. A second. When that movie came out, when that movie was coming close and people were interested in it, suddenly it jumped to like 3 million copies that they needed. Mm-hmm. That's money for DC, you know? Sure. So they know that that stuff is there. Um, are they willing to take the risk and say, hey, we're going to offer three the next three issues of Booster Gold as a single 80-page giant and we're going to sell it for four ninety nine and see if it sells? Don't know. Nobody's really, I mean, well, really uh, tested it and proven and, it. And even then, just because you have... You have giant-sized issues. Right. Lots of important things happen in giant-sized issues. Right. Like, you know, new X-Men being introduced every three seconds. <laughs> um, but that's the thing. Even just a, 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 like a, a 200-page maxisized whatever. Right. If, if the next week they go right back to the same format... There's there's no point. Yeah, you know th- this is something that somebody somewhere has to commit to trying this right. with with a couple of things, you know, and mm-hmm. and you know you look at something like Astonishing X Men, which w- was it in canon? I don't know at this at this point in the uh, in the Zodiac whether it actually <laughs> is in canon or not. It depends what house the the Sagittarius is in, but. Um, that could have been a single giant trade and they could have sold it as that, yeah. especially since they had the stunt casting of Joss Whedon. Yep. You know, they could have said here in this box is Joss Whedon's X-Men mm-hmm. and that would have sold probably the same or better than it did. In the individuals. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is all speculation, probably of course. Be- well, I don't probably know bigger because you've also got calculations that if issue one sells 30,000 copies, the next issue is going to sell quite less than that. Sell it in one big volume. 30,000 right. people are going to buy that one volume but and you don't have your lost leader on the back I end. I don't I don't think that you can say that though. I think no, that I people can't. are No, I can speculate on that though. And based on trends, that's what happens. But I think people are going to look at that and I think you're going to lose sales. And this is the problem that we have is that the industry is having the same argument and they're probably having it with things to back them up. You know, if like, for instance, an annual comes out that's $2 more than a regular issue, the sales on that are less than the average monthly holds on those books. If you put a book out, well, first of all, my problem is going to be, if I really want to buy Brightest Day, I know that I have to show up at the comic shop every other week. If I want to buy Spider-Man, I have to be the comic book store every Wednesday. If I want to buy Scott Pilgrim over the last six years, God only knows when I'm going to find it. So I have to pay attention to Oni's website or Brian O'Malley's Twitter feed to find out when it comes out. It's not like every, you know, on the sixth of every third month, you're going to get a new volume of Brian O'Malley's Scott Pilgrim. The problem with this is if you space it out, the industry as it is currently set up will collapse. Now, does it need to collapse? Probably. Do we need something different? Probably. 
But in the short term, I don't think that they're willing to make these kind of leaps of faith. And, you know, it's like the anthology question we've had before. I know for a fact that I'm not willing to buy an anthology based on one out of four stories appealing to me. And I think that having, you know, three issues of a book that I was kind of wavering on come out and cost me more all at once is probably going to lead me to think, well, maybe I don't need that book after all. You know, maybe I'm just an idiot. Who knows? No, I think every every uh, opinion is valid. Or equally valid, which is to say that each of them has, you know, about 4% usefulness. Rodrigo, the big reveal. Yes. Um, I wanted to, I was, I was looking back through all my trades, trying to figure out which ones were mine and which ones did Steven let me borrow, which, by the way, am I supposed to bring back I Kill Giants? No, you can keep that one. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Unless you don't want it, then I'll take it. No, no, it, I, I like it. I think I think it'll be therapeutic for my family. I'll, I'll pass it around. <laughs> um, but uh, I saw the Judas contract again, and mm-hmm. I remember how anticlimactic uh, the big reveal of Nightwing was. Right. You know, because he's like, finally, and he's, you know, taking off his little Robin mask and, and putting up these the, the new disco outfit. And, you know, saying, uh-huh. finally, after all these years, I have taken what Superman has taught me, and I have taken what Batman has taught me, and I am now reforged into a new hero, and I will call myself Nightwing. Who the hell is that guy? Yeah. You know, and it's like, this guy is a guy that you will never see again. Mm-hmm. Um, who, by the way, was named Jericho. Um <laughs> So sometimes, and and I I don't I I I look over that page and I, over and over again, and I can't tell if it was on purpose. But you know, you look at you know Dick Grayson had a huge history in the DC universe, continues mm-hmm. to have a huge impact on the DC universe, and the time when he finally gets the like for the first time in his life because he keeps going back that he gets out of the bat shadow, his moment is ruined, and this, it's this big reveal that just falls completely flat. So I started thinking about. Big reveals, specifically in comics, but this happens a lot. Right. That work, that don't work, things that you see coming from the beginning, and then you're just waiting, like, oh, God, when am I going to get the splash page mm-hmm. that tells me that she's actually a lizard monster? Right. You know? And when when is it like, you turn the page and it's like, holy crap, I was not actually expecting this. You know, when you talk about, and I took this from the comic standpoint of the mm-hmm. splash page, and the splash page should have some big, powerful meaning behind it. Right. right? Because it is a big deal. We're devoting an entire page to this. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, the splash page can be really awesome. For example, not in the most recent Atomic Robo, uh, issue four that came out this past week, but volume three that came, or issue three that came out, I think, a week or two before, um, it's about Atomic Robo falling in love. And as we've talked about before with Atomic Robo, they tend to use panels, smaller mm-hmm. panels, to tell their story. Uh, in Volume 2, they used a lot of horizontal stuff. They were experimenting. They were trying things. I can't recall having seen a huge splash page in Atomic Robo. Now, I'm sure there's something in there. Right. But nothing strikes out as, here's a big dramatic moment that is a that we want to devote a full page to. So in Issue 3... Atomic Robo has his first kiss, and it's laid out so well. You're reading everything that leads up to that kiss, the hold, the look, and then you turn the page, and it is a splash page of Robo and the girl in an embrace, sharing a kiss. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is a moment that's like, that is deserving of a splash page. That is this big, heroic, 
changing moment in in a story. Mm -hmm. Take that to the other extreme, and you've got DC Comics, who around, I want to say, 52, end of 52, made the mandate that every issue within the first three pages has to have a splash page. Mm Mm-hmm. So regardless of what the story is, and I picked up just randomly, Booster Gold number 41, first page, splash page, which you know, I haven't read this issue, but I'm looking at it, and there's nothing really splashy about this page. Right, right. My guess is it's a bunch of re- rehash stuff. You get to the end of the issue, and there's also another splash page that has the big bad entering Booster's jail cell for whatever reason that he's in the jail cell. I'm now picking up uh, Brightest Day number 20. Black Manta Strikes. Uh, no, no splash page on the first page. Boom. Second page splash page with the new Aqualad uh, tackling a Black Manta, etc., etc., etc. Get to the last page. Um, well, is this actually part of... Hard to no, tell. No, there's no splash page at the end. So this mandate of let's just... Make sure we have a splash page in every issue within the first three pages. Mm-hmm. Kind of works on a couple of different levels. Number one, it cuts down on the actual amount of art that you have to do. I mean, for that, you don't have to draw a bunch of individual issues. Mm-hmm. It actually cuts back on story and page count because you've got one panel, one giant panel that versus a bunch yeah. of, yeah, that, you know, could hinder your story. Um, but in this case, I'm not sure that this mandate of we have to have a splash page within three pages of the cover is actually a good thing. You know, that that may not be... A, it's actually a letdown to waste that space with that action. Um, have there been things where it's like, yes, 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 wait for it? I think usually when the character emerges from the shadow, uh, Dr. Xavier, Professor Xavier is coming out of the chamber and everyone thinks he's a still uh, paraplegic and he stands up and he says, I can walk again. That's deserving maybe of a splash page. Hmm. Splash page devoted to... Um, the latest costume that Frost is wearing, probably not so much. I don't know. Matthew? Well, I actually kind of think I understood what Rodrigo was talking about, but hey, let's go with it. Um, for me, I'm thinking about times like um, the iconic one for me is Adrian Veidt. Daniel, don't be foolish. I did it all 20 minutes ago. Dun, dun, dun. At that point, you know it's all it's all inevitable. And the fact that Adrian has just admitted to being behind, you know, the whole 12 issues of Framistattery, that works for me. But there are times when the big reveal is just, you know, Vince McMahon wrestling swerve stupid. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I know at at one point when I was reading X-Men, and I think it may have been at a point where uh, Joe Maggiore was drawing it, the death of the four horsemen was unmasked on panel and oh my god it's wolverine or in the in 1978 roy thomas was drawing or writing uh, legion of superheroes and there was this huge thing about who is reflecto and of course ultra boy was missing and presumed dead and everybody knew that reflecto was ultra boy and that it, it was going to figure out how Reflecto was Ultra Boy, and Reflecto was shot, and his costume was ripped open to reveal the distinctive chest symbol of Superboy. Mm. And you're like, what? The big reveal, and then the issues that tried to explain how this happened were such a cluster schmoz. Oh, yeah. Of, uh, when Ultra Boy's brain is in Superboy's body, and they're all trapped in the time stream, and uh, just hand wave it, and never mind. 
So I feel like, you know, that big reveal moment, it has, at any time, it, it has as much chance of shooting you in the foot and ruining everything as it does of changing everything for good. Well, I thought... What like, is the... Um, oh, go ahead. No, you. Okay. Um, no, it, you. It's, it's funny because uh, uh, the... Um, I, I think a, a former edict... Or maybe not, but but a style, I think, and, and especially in DC, because I think they were doing this before Marvel even existed, and, and eventually they grew out of it, was come up with something ridiculous and then explain it. Right. Um, which is, I think, how every early issue of the Legion of Superheroes was written. It's just like, mm-hmm. first oh, yeah. page, huge splash panel, all the Legionnaires are defeated by a caveman. <laughs> awesome. Right. How the hell are we going to tell this story? And sometimes you read the story and you get to the end and you're like, this makes no sense, you know, and it's just yeah. like kind of like putting it together. So sometimes yeah. when you're specifically playing to that big reveal, mm-hmm. like you either need to be a kick ass writer or yeah. I-, I guess just expect that the uh, the level of suspension of disbelief is going to be huge. Yeah. Well, and it's difficult to do. Uh, more Weisinger was actually known for buying a cover concept. Back in the Silver Age, he would say, well, here's this cover where Superman has the head of an ant. Oh, crap. How are we going to explain that? Okay, Bob, right. write a story that explains that. Mm-hmm. You know, so definitely that's true, but it's also, it's, it's really kind of played. Uh, recent issues of New Avengers have had the big reveal at the end of each issue. And especially the one where they killed, spoiler warning, Brother Voodoo. What? The issue, the cover of the issue said, one of these heroes will die. And on the cover, you had Spider-Man, Wolverine, Iron Fist, Doctor Strange, and Brother Voodoo. Well, you know they're not going to kill three of those. Yeah. And you're pretty sure that they're not going to kill Iron Fist. So it's pretty much it. It comes down to a question of was that big reveal completely ruined by the cover? Yes. You know, there's a moment of wrestling history, and I like to put things in wrestling terms. Uh, Hulk Hogan turned heel in 1996. For the first time in his, his career as Hulk Hogan, he was a bad guy. But when he first ran out to the ring, it looked like he was going to do a save. He was going to save the good guys from the evil New World Order. And as he was running down, they're like, oh my god, Hogan is here. And Bobby the Brain Heenan, God love him, I do love Bobby, said, but whose side is he on? Thereby raising the question of whether Hogan could be on the side of the heels, the bad guy wrestlers, and it turns out he was. Mm-hmm. Now, I think, honestly, you know, Heenan ad-libbed this because Heenan always hated the Hulkster in character. I don't know if he hated him out, but that was his character. It's a moment where if your big reveal is too lampshaded, if it's too much of a, a foregone conclusion, then it's completely useless. But on the other hand, you know, if, say, Hulk Hogan had come out and made the save and beaten up the evil New World Order, would it have carried any weight at all? It, you know, it's a hero character being a hero. And I think that that new Avengers cover set you up for disaster because if they kill Brother Voodoo, you're like, well, we knew they were going to kill Brother Voodoo. If they kill Doctor Strange or Wolverine or Spider-Man, you're like, oh, well, that won't stick. There's no way to take that tease and make that tease meaningful. 
because that teases in itself a meaningless fight. It's, you know, it's like saying, oh, my God, which testicle is larger? Either way, the answer is bad. Because, you know, either you know. No, go ahead. Well, I think a lot of the time, um, you know, you, you... they just sit down and say, okay, we need that swerve. We need that moment where it's like, everything you thought is not actually what you thought. And if that's not well thought out, that will just punch a hole right in the middle of your story. And I think a great example of this, um, and that's about the time when I just totally stopped reading, was um, in New X-Men, when Zorn was revealed to be Magneto. Um, Yes. And I was just like, how? How is this possible? Didn't he take off his head at some point? Like, just because there have been times where um, you were following him, you were following Zorn along all by himself, and you could hear his thoughts, and he was not saying, mwahaha, those stupid X-Men think that I am a Zorn and not at all uh, Magneto. Right. Um. It's not that that's not what happened. So unless like the writer was blatantly lying to us back then, which he wasn't because he was writing what he thought was this character. Right. Um, then that reveal later on makes no sense. It's like, uh, you know, yeah. wild things. <laughs> There's all those swerves. Yeah, but if you go back and watch the movie and watch when the characters are alone or just with each other, it's like, no, there's no way that they knew this was coming. Yeah. We saw them. We saw them together. We saw them talking. Right. They couldn't have they couldn't have actually have planned this. Yeah. But hey, a threesome, right? Hey, Denise. Heck Richards. yeah, Nev Campbell boobies. Set me, sign me up. <laughs> you know, uh, Siskel and Ebert made famous the thumbs up, thumbs down mm-hmm. rating system: two thumbs up, two thumbs down, one thumb up, one thumb down. Uh, we've got Rotten Tomatoes, eighty-seven mm-hmm. percent fresh. We've got um, star ratings for movies and books and. Uh, heck, even the Major Spoilers podcast has a meatloaf rating. Ridiculous. Oh my yep. god. Who would want four slices of atomic robo meatloaf? Right now, I could definitely go for at least one slice <laughs> so of could meatloaf. I. So could I. As could I am a... why, why do we put rating systems in place, Matthew, and why do rating systems work or not work? Explain a rating system to me, please. Well, let's take the obvious example. At Major Spoilers, We talk about comics because we know you love comics, and you do too. And so, what, wait, what? And never mind, sidetracked. What I do, let's say I pick up The Amazing Turnip Man, or 7,542, written by Rodrigo Lopez and drawn by, you know, Dante the Intern. And I say, well, this book is good, but I'm pretty sure that Turnip Man's wife used to exist. And, you know, maybe Turnip Man sold his soul to uh, Neron or something. You know, and I go through this whole thing and I think this book is okay. It's about halfway to a great book. So I say, I'm going to write this thing and I'm going to say this is a two and a half star book. So that to me. It's an expectation of me saying out of five possible stars or ten possible stars, here is how many I would assign this book if a perfect book gets all the stars and an awful book gets none of the stars. So that star rating is basically designed, or any type of rating is designed to try and give you an expectation of what it is. It's like 
saying to Rodrigo, hey, Rodrigo, can I borrow 20 bucks? And him saying, well, let's think about this. I make $9 an hour plus tips. No, you can't. Or <laughs> if I say, Stephen, can I borrow 20 bucks? And Stephen's on, you know, that big uh, par- publisher parish gravy train. Stephen's got tenure. Stephen's like, hell, 20 bucks. Ha ha. That is pocket change to me. Take the 20 yeah, bucks. Whatever. Here's 50 bucks. Here's whatever. 50 bucks. I will charge you exactly. 300% interest. <laughs> and uh, my friend Lenny will like be over your house next joint. week with a baseball bat. So, yeah. so and the, the major spoilers, uh, one out of five stars, is actually something you see relatively commonly. I know that iTunes uses a one to five star ratio. I know that a lot of people use those star ratings, but we do the half stars as well. So mm-hmm. let's say... Well, you have to. Because, let's say the well, amazing... Yeah, but you yeah. have to, though, Matthew. You have to use a half star because if you're saying the absolute middle of the road between one and five, or in the five stars that are possible, mm-hmm. two and a half. You can't say 2. three 5. is average. You can't say three is the average or two is the average because it's not. I mean, well, I suppose if you want right. to go statistically and say mean, mode, etc., then maybe <laughs> mean, you're mean, mean, mean. But, you know, but no, but, we're talking about pure just divide it in half. Right. But And the reason that it also works is that Five Stars has kind of a cultural bias. You know, it's a five-star restaurant. Oh, they got five stars in the Zagat Bowl. You know, this is a five-star, you know, I think Mitsubishi may literally mean five stars. It may mean three diamonds. I don't know. But when you're talking about that that rating, I think that you have to also take into account the fact that every rating is completely biased. And, you know, the three. Well, and it has to be biased because it's somebody telling you, here's what I liked about this thing. Here's what I liked about this thing that I filter through all the shit that I've ever read or that I like or don't like. You know, Uh, Sin City is a great example of a book that is critically acclaimed, very popular. If you ask me about it, I will tell you in no unequivocal terms why I dislike it and what's wrong with it. And people mm-hmm. tell me that I'm wrong, that I'm bad because I don't share that common opinion, but I don't. And well, a lot of that's perfectly re- valid. When you're reviewing something, obviously there is there is your own filter that gets laid on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. for the most part, you know, there are a couple of ways I want to approach this. Number one, we're not just giving, we're not doling out five star reviews just because we want to get on somebody's good side. Sure, the reviews that we have we are. Well, we shouldn't be, and and I don't believe we do. Uh, the reviews that we dole out are not an attempt to placate a publisher in hopes of getting something in return, or, or readers for that. I matter. mean, go back and listen to uh, my discussion yeah. with uh, Alex Segura, over who's over at Archie and who is now over at DC, and I bring that that topic up, or was over at DC is now over at Archie, and I bring that topic up about how do you deal yeah. with people who are doing reviews, and he's very honest about that. Um, so we're not doing that. On the other hand, yes, there is this. I love Spider-Man and I love everything Spider-Man does and and maybe a certain author or somebody just sits wrong with you. But on the other hand, we do say, okay, yep. this book in order to meet this level has to have at least this quality or characteristic to it. Uh when you rev- right. when you Matthew, you sit at the comic book store every Sunday, now in a back room yes. apparently. And you sit there and yeah. you judge comics not based on how good the story is or the, how good the art is, but the quality of that yeah. archival comic. And, you know, there's all these ratings. Right. You've got uh, crap, not so crap, maybe a little bit better than crap, uh, very good, 
very fine, very fine, good, and in excellent condition, or whatever that these ratings Mostly that you have. So so, very good is below so, fine. So you have very, very good, good is below fine, fine, very fine, right? And there are some right. stipulations that have to be met yes. in order for something to meet that fine condition, right? Right, and there are certain but then, things that but are, there may be certain things. Maybe something has a little bit of yellowing on this page, or maybe there's a slight tear on this page. Does that automatically dump it from it a very fine to a fine condition? What is that? What is that it limit? Or what is that? Can. Is there well, a, is there something the that says that if this has an absolute? If this has if this has even <laughs> one nick on it, you absolutely cannot give it this this quality of a of a. Of I'm a sorry, we're out of time from you asking the question. Yes, there are certain points where that takes place. For instance, if you have a book that has cream-colored pages, it has no damage, the spine is unrolled, there's minor scuffing on the cover, everything is fine, but it has a severe acidic odor, that book, while it may look like it's an 8.0, which I believe is very fine, or I may be, you know, I may be full of crap, I'd have to look at my book and it's the middle of the night right now, then no, that book is not a very fine book. There are certain books that have come in that are gorgeous, beautiful copies with rusted staples. Mm-hmm. Rusted staples are not actually something that you can have in any grade above, I believe, a 6.0. There are certain things where they'll say, this comic is qualified by this, a slight spine roll, um, right. a chip in the cover of less than one quarter inch, a spine split of less than half an inch in length. And you may have a beautiful book. That would be an 8.0 if it weren't for that spine split making right. it a 6. Right. This happens, what, and that's the way the said, grading works. You said there's cream colored. What color cream? Mm-hmm. What shade? What what intensity? They actually show you the shade. Is there shade. a difference between an RGB value of this and an RGB value of one, one point less? There's not going to be, well, at least at, at that my point, level, there's not At that, that point, it becomes it. subjective, right? Not necessarily. Yes, no. I mean, what about you were talking about meat? They actually the have a, a color scale that shows you, you know, this is a cream colored page. This is a tan to brown. This is this. So you can actually see what, you know, what the experts who created this scale say it looks like. And you can but compare it to the issue you have. But what if it's what if it's better than this? What if it's lighter than this shade, but darker than the other shade? That's where the bias comes in. Okay, Rodri, you're, you're saying about your meat documentary. Right. Um, uh, basically, I, I did this whole program on beef, and beef is graded uh, mm-hmm. based on marbling mostly, but also on a few other things. And uh, we had an expert on, and he was talking about it, and you know, he would say this steak, for example, is a lower-end uh, choice or higher-end of select. No, the other way around. Higher end of choice, lower end of select. No, mm-hmm. the other way around. I forget. One of those two, but it's right, right on the border. Right, right on the border. Right. It's, it's between those two, but he can't tell just by looking at it because when they uh, actually grade the meat, they can look at the whole carcass. They know how long the, how uh, old the animal is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that factors into the grading. So just by looking at it, you can't, you actually can't tell. Mm-hmm the grade of a steak. Mm-hmm. Not precisely. You can say, well, clearly by the marbling and the coloring and all this stuff, it would be somewhere in here. Right. Um, and isn't that really kind of the point of most rating systems is 
that it's somewhere in this range. We can't say that this book is a 4.152 star rating. Right. We can say that this well, is a round. If we wanted to be dicks. We can. And that's the thing dicks, is, yes. you're, you're getting into, into the, the how of a rating right, system, right. but the point of a rating system is that it's shorthand. Right. Because right. you can say... um. And and really, with something like major spoilers or like movie reviews, you say you eventually find a critic that rates things that you like highly and mm-hmm. things that you don't like mm-hmm. in a in a low mm-hmm. uh, gives that a low rating. So you say, well, I really like most of the stuff that Steven likes. I really hate most of the stuff that Steven hates. Mm-hmm. How many stars did Steven give to Spider Man? These many stars, right? Okay, then I will probably like it mm-hmm. if he gave it. If you gave it four stars, for right. example, right? Um, yeah, but the, I guess the problem comes in when it's like, well, I like Grant Morrison, and Stephen gave Batman's Grant Morrison a one point review, right? Dick, and that guy's a dick. And why? Know, and well, da-da-da-da. and and why? And regardless, exactly. Regardless of whether you're a dick or not, that doesn't actually factor into it, right? Because well, it kind of does, but that's. <laughs> <laughs> not not in this specifically. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. I mean, otherwise you would get everything one star because you are such a colossal yes, wang. Exactly. <laughs> no. Um <laughs> such a big wang it blocks out the sun. Yep. Um anyway. No, that's your No, ego, but there's a, so. there's a reason there's a reason why. Mm-hmm. And part of the part of the reviewing process is to explain like when you're reviewing the latest what? Dungeons and Dragons piece, is to explain that this is what I liked, mm-hmm. and so that elevates it up, up uh, several notches, and this is what I don't like, and that takes it down several notches, and somewhere in between the likes and the dislikes, it balances out in your calculated scale, whatever rating system that you're using, it balances out to a three and a half, a three, a 2.5, a one, a five, a four, whatever that it may be. Mm-hmm. And 97 cockapoos. Well, right. why does it why does but, it have to be why does it have to be Matthew? Why does it have to be five? Why can't we have ten? Why can't we have ninety nine cockapoos? Well, there are three reasons why we have five stars. One, five stars, as we mentioned earlier, has cachet in an overall, you know, in sort of a a, a cultural sense. Two, right. it's right. easier to physically display five stars than it is to display ten. Even if you cut one of those stars in half, as we often do. And three, and most importantly, a long time ago, a guy named Steve came up with a website, and this is what he created as our standard. <laughs> uh, and that what? standard it's, is what yeah. we deal with. You know what? But there's also a secondary concern here. Yeah. And I can say this as the, well, at major spoilers, the most tenured reviewer who is not you, I can tell you that I have actually regretted certain reviews that I've given because later events called them into, you know, into comparison with something else. If I Mm -hmm. give something a five star rating, and as a rule, I want to tell you right now that the, the five star rating is the second hardest rating to get. You should not get a five star rating for just some, you know, jag off comic off the streets. The only thing harder to get than a five should be a one star rating. But if you get that five star rating, and two months later, you come up against a book and you say, wow, this was better than that. I can't give it a 5.1. We actually had an instance where one of our reviewers retroactively 
backed <laughs> down all of his reviews by one star because he wanted to say that this book was so much better. So you have to set yourself, it's like archery. You set yourself a range, but then you also have, you know, an accuracy across the board. So there are certain things that I feel like I graded too high or too low in retrospect. So it takes a while to get yourself calibrated mm -hmm. to even calibrate to what your own understanding is. Right now, I feel confident that I can take any book, read that book, and I can give you a one to five rating that I can justify, that I can actually, you know, say, here is why I felt that way. Even if I'm just ballparking it, as we often do on the specifically on the podcast, uh, I will say that this trade paperback is about a three and a half. Well, but I mean, I can look at something, too, and I can say, you know what? This book is really not worthy of a four, but it's certainly better than a mm -hmm. three. Mm -hmm. So it, it lands in a three point right. five range. Oh, and, yeah. you know, this kind of goes to a bigger this goes to a bigger problem that I have or not that I have. Well, no, it is a problem that I have with rating oh, systems. It is you have. Someone looks at a rating of 2.5, and they say, well, that's a failure. That book is a Excuse failure me? if it's got 2.5 out of 5 stars. That's mm -hmm. a 50%. Mm -hmm. uh, no, we're not talking about percentage-wise. We're talking about an, you know, an average-wise. Exactly. No we were talking book is a failure. Well... Well, because we're uh, right. Not even I, Captain Marvel: The Return is a failure. <laughs> well, and 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 you can, I mean, you can, you can look at things to say what did this book set out to do. Right. It failed at doing that. Right. Um. But we're not we're we're not passing or failing a book with our ratings. Well, but I th you know, two point five is an average book. It's middle of well, the road. Definitely. It's it's good. Mm -hmm. It's it's probably you know it's it's average. It is average compared to everything right. else. It is average. But then people are like, 2.5 is a failure. I can't believe 2.5. I failed. No, I have the same problem when I'm at class. I give you a 75 on a project, a C, the middle C that you can get. And people are like, oh, my God, my world is shattered. I failed on this project. No, you didn't. See, you did average work. And I, that is I more really of that. Blame, I blame that high school, the middle school, high school, where I, we're always. I taught will tell that, you who well, I blame. Elevate all the grades, mm -hmm. and nobody. I blame the same less than people. I'm going to rant. Can I rant? Go ahead. When I was 14 years old, I used to walk into the gymnasium, and there was a big sign, and it said, "Only the strong survive." And this was the wrestling team's way of pumping themselves up to be better. And you know what? That's crap. You know, second place is first loser. Bullshit. Forgive me. That was an S-bomb. But it's not a question of failure. It's not a question of what's terrible. It's a question of there are comics. Let's say it's a 1.5 star comic. That's a book that more than likely I was disappointed by. Maybe I had, I went in with an expectation. This is, you know, this is Keith Giffen on Batman or whatever. I expected something or you know, they did that big reveal that Rodrigo talked about, and it fell flat on its face. Or maybe just the quality of the book isn't good. There are a lot of reasons why that 1.5 star, you know, book with the three WTF moments or the I don't care about this big reveal. There's a lot of reasons why that 1.5 star book might strike you. Whereas there are times when I've given a book four or four and a half stars because I liked it because it spoke to me specifically. 
a book that affected oh, yeah. me, like Agents of Atlas, that didn't necessarily go over with the general public. You know, a book yeah. that a 4.5 rating is a book that's really, really good. You know, I have my reservations here or there, or there were issues, some technical flaws here and there. Still a great book. You know, anything above two stars is a strong comic book, albeit at two stars, a strong, somewhat flawed comic. Even if you give somebody a one-star comic, it's not like, you know, you regret, you want these people to die. Maybe you regret picking it up, or you feel like, you know, it could have been done better, or you're angry about something that happened. You're overwhelmed by the flaws. That book is still not a failure, because right. a, a notable one-star for me that I... I get flack about to this day. I did an, an episode or an issue of old man Logan. I do not care for old man Logan and old man Logan is critically lauded. It's a superstar artist and a superstar writer on, you know, a high tier character doing this apocalyptic storyline. And all that I could see was, you know, plot cliches and poor dialogue and big swinging dick attitude throughout. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, a lot just, of people said it was one of the best books of 2000. In their opinion. Based on their expectation. Exactly. Yeah. And as always, your mileage may vary. I, I guess I'm just, I guess what upsets me more is when people are like, uh, that middle of the road, that average book suddenly is a failure when, you know, they think that an average book should be a 4.0. Yeah. Uh, no, not really. That's not average. That's way above average. And that bothers me right. that people have this inflation of ratings and inflate. I mean, just to be nice. Oh, well, we're going to give these guys four stars. They tried their best, but look at all the flaws. We don't want to uh, hurt their feelings or eh, we don't want to cost us their business is another if one. If you're going to put yourself out there, you need to, you need to deal with definitely. The and, 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 you know, I, I regularly just give what, what I feel is tough love to uh, indie oh, yeah, yeah. publishers yeah. and indie writers well, and, uh, who come along. Hey, listen to this. Speaking of this. And I forgot to give it to you. Or maybe I did give it to you, and we haven't talked about it before. Yeah, we haven't talked about um, it. There's a book that you read a few months ago, yeah. um, uh, The Little Raccoon that was the Cobalt yep. uh, book. And I forget the title yeah, of that I'll book. I'll try to pull it up. Uh, but Rodrigo just blasted this in the review saying, bad grammar, bad spelling, da da da, da. Here's the, Here are all these problems. Put it out there to the world to hear. And wouldn't you know it, the creator contacted us a few weeks later and said, hey, I listened to your show. And I went back and I fixed all these problems that Rodrigo said. Would you reconsider looking at this book and talking about it again? Now. Sure. Tell me, tell me that that tough love doesn't have an impact. Uh, I jokingly, well, maybe not jokingly, kind of harshly at times with uh, Scott Wegner, who does the, uh, the art for Atomic Robo. I'm like, you know, his backgrounds don't have a lot of detail. Still love this book. I think it's a five-star book. But I wish he had more detail yep. in his background. And then he then he sent it to Twitter, or maybe Brian Clevenger or Wegner through Brian Clevenger sent me a, a tweet that said, "Hey, in response to your lack of detail, sent me a picture of an upcoming page that has a crap ton of detail in it." Nice. So mm -hmm. I think you do have to be a little tough on reviews, and you have to be honest in the reviews. And maybe these people will not yeah. be complacent and take it to heart and actually do something about it now. Uh, another one that's very fascinating, if you read Bleeding Cool on a regular basis, is this MCM uh, comic book convention that's taking place, uh, expo that's taking place in London, I think this weekend, going on today. And all it took was Mark Miller 
basically saying, hey, we're going to do this, this, and this, and we're going to be the San Diego Comic-Con in London. And the MCM Expo is like, oh, no, you're not. And they actually got off their duffs and started doing stuff, and now they actually have what looks like a really, really good show. Nice. So maybe it is that punch of, hey, if you don't like two and a half stars, what are you going to do to be better? If you don't like that two-star review, what are you going to do to be better? If you got a five-star review, what are you going to do to continue to keep that five stars? And I think we have to couch it in the same, you know, you have to put it in the same vein of, you know, for about six consecutive critical hit recordings, you made sure to send me the bad uh, reviews right before the show. (laughs) And I I know why you did that, but that's fine. You're just mean. Why do I do that? When I read those reviews and they say, well, I do not support your critical decisions and you are a horrible drain and Torque is stupid and your mom's stupid and... You know, it's it's a situation where I look at that and I go, is there any validity to these claims? And in a couple of right. cases, I believe that there was. And I have worked to address those claims which are valid. And the ones that are not, their opinion has been duly noted and ignored. <laughs> you have to do that. And I think that when you yeah. create something for public consumption, you have to expect that there's going to be a perception among the populace that – you have now created something that they can savage. You've raped their childhood or beaten up their mother or whatever it is, you know, the current phrase is now. And probably more importantly, back to the rating system, is it's a gauge. I don't think it's ever going to be exactly. a fine, precise measure, but it is a gauge of at that moment, based on these factors, with a tinge of yep. bias, this is where it lands. How do you feel? Treasures of and the it's going to be based on... Treasures of the Realm, okay. It's going to be based on not only how you feel, but you know, what you may have read recently. If you read a stack of comics that are great, that average book that may have been a three the month before may feel like a two. And that's perfectly valid. Yep. Yep. Hey, you know, uh, yeah, I'll go on. We're, we're way all over time here, and I want to wrap it up uh, for this week's show. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We're going to enjoy talking about more of these topics in the coming weeks and months and years. As we do this, uh, thanks to everybody who's donated to the Major Spoilers Podcast and the Critical Hit Podcast. Keeps things going for week after week. Uh, we sure like for all of you to uh, contribute if you can, and I realize that not all of us can. And I also realize that we have to be thankful for what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, had a really bad encounter today that I felt terrible about. Not for anything that I did, but just a situation that made me stop and think that, you know, we really are pretty lucky to be where we are today. And I hope that all of you can sit back and think that you are lucky where you are today because your situation could be a lot worse. So until next time, let's not get too serious. We'll talk mm-hmm. about comics because we know that you love them and we do too. Except next time we're doing the second volume of Mouse. <laughs> so yeah, we'll talk to you real soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at majorspoilers.com. Visit majorspoilers at majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Fat Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! 
think about a better way If I was hulking green or gray I could just bust through that brick wall Take their comic books away But then the little me would deal With all the tanks and bombs and guns Have you ever tried to read a series With all that going on Guess I need to rethink this plan How would I back and board my comics With such huge hands Guess I already told ya What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm star raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers is copyright 2011